parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself. What would kids do? Dance to a giant organ played by ocean waves? Yep. Camp in floating tree houses hundreds of feet off the ground? Check. Jump in a big tub of mud on purpose? Call it rejuvenation. We don't care. Just pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. If you need help, ask your kids. Start planning at visitcalifornia.com. CIDP disrupts. CIDP derails. Let's be honest. CIDP sucks. But living with CIDP doesn't have to. When you sign up at shiningthroughcidp.com, you'll find inspiration and real patient stories, helpful tips, reliable information, and more. CIDP can be tough. But finding hope just got a little easier. Sign up at shiningthroughcidp.com. Be heard, be hopeful, be you. The Bowery Boys, episode 126, Fernando Wood, the scoundrel mayor. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys New York City History. This is Greg Young. Tom Myers is not here this week. I will explain to you why. This is the first part of a trilogy of podcasts that we're going to record surveying New York City during the American Civil War. So this week's episode is sort of an introduction to that, so it'll just be me. But Tom will be joining me for the next two episodes. This first one will cover the first year of the Civil War, and it's really more of a personality profile. That is, if you like your personalities to be backstabbing, nefarious, and relentlessly ambitious. By the time Abraham Lincoln reached the White House in March of 1861, many southern states had already began seceding from the Union. And that April came the first attack by Confederate forces at the Battle of Fort Sumter in South Carolina. The mayor of New York City at that time was Fernando Wood. And in those very pivotal early months, the leader of the largest, most diverse city in the United States, allied at first not with the Union Army, but with the Confederacy. In January of that year, he proposed that all of New York City, including the independent city of Brooklyn, Richmond County, that future borough of Staten Island, and all of Long Island, that all of that area secede and join the Confederacy. Now, before I get to that crazy story, I need to bring you up to speed on the biography of Mr. Wood here. We've mentioned him in a couple podcast episodes in the past, I believe the Union Square episode, for instance, but we've never really given him his proper due. He twice served as mayor, consolidated power to become one of the most powerful men to ever hold that office. Fernando Wood was arrogant, charismatic, duplicitous, and possibly one of the most corrupt politicians to ever reign in New York. And as you know, that really is saying something. So let's spend some time with him. Perhaps you're thinking, what American family in the 19th century would name their child Fernando? Well, there was actually a famous book called The Three Spaniards by an English Gothic novelist named George Walker. And the hero of this book was a swashbuckler named Fernando. Now, this book made its way to the bookshelf of a certain Quaker cigar maker living in Philadelphia named Benjamin Wood. And on June 14th, 1812, the family named their newborn son after this adventurous character in this long-forgotten book. 
Young Fernando spent his early years struggling to find some purpose. He was living in New York by his early 20s and tried out a vast assortment of different professions here, working as an auctioneer, opening a cigar shop just like dad, and even a waterfront grocery store. And you know when they say grocery in the 1830s, they don't mean fresh produce, they mean cheap booze. Most of these endeavors were failures. What he quickly learned, however, was that business owners who were politically connected often benefited financially. So he headed for the most attractive, most beneficial political organization of them all during this period, the budding Democratic machine, Tammany Hall. Now, we have an entire podcast on Tammany Hall, so if you don't know anything about them, I suggest listening to that one, too, because that's the backdrop here. But essentially... Tammany was an 18th century gentleman's social club that by the 1830s had morphed into a political network on the local and state levels. Fernando Wood quickly rose through its ranks. He was tall and striking. He had a very sophisticated air about him. Most of all, Fernando was ruthless. He took advantage of all the tools of politics, not afraid to employ the more unethical and two-faced varieties, And all this during a time of a major political sea change. Tammany's structure also helped Fernando. The main decision makers of the hall were connected to individual districts or wards throughout the city by what were known as bosses, who they, of course, had their own underling. So it was a very deep hierarchy. So through connections and bribes, one could really swiftly move up this ladder. And this is exactly what Fernando did. By 1840, several years after he had just moved to New York, he was elected a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, a loyal, quote, Democratic foot soldier, according to one of his biographers. Even though he was redistricted out of a job by 1842, he was still seen as a bright new star of the Democratic Party. And just as he had desired, the attention and connection brought rewards. He quickly, perhaps too quickly, became a successful business merchant and real estate owner, and so rich so rapidly that in 1848, he bought some very verdant, beautiful property up at Broadway and 77th Street that stretched all the way to the waterfront, and he built an estate there, which he called Woodlawn, long before the cemetery of the same name. So by 1850, he was already a well-established, wealthy member of society with strong political ties. Now, people would always wonder, hmm, how did a young merchant become that wealthy so quickly? Frequently throughout his career, he was being sued in court for financial fraud and regularly accused in anti-democratic newspapers of massive financial chicanery. But this is New York, after all, mid-19th century style. Fernando was profiting from politics, and naturally, he lusted for the greatest prize of all, City Hall and the job of mayor. Wood built his popularity upon a coalition of new Irish and German immigrants and took advantage of a fracturing of his political opponents to finally win the job of mayor of New York in November of 1854. Once there, he made his intentions for achieving power known. Up until that time, mayors had always been sort of figureheads, subject to the whim of the common council. Fernando wanted to be the most powerful mayor ever and quickly began consolidating departments and sweeping away corruption. He improved street cleaning, closed saloons on Sundays, cracked down on prostitution and police corruption, and even opened a complaint book in City Hall where any resident could make a suggestion. By 1855, he was so popular that a biography was rushed to press, one that included in its title, Fernando Wood, The Model Mayor. But its consolidations of power and authority alienated the common council, and more treacherously for him, angered politicians on the state level. 
When he was reelected for a new term in 1857, the state cut his term in half to just a single year. Angered at Fernando's authority over the police department, the state created a rival police force. Wood, naturally, and being part of his personality, refused to disband his own force, and for one awful summer in 1857, two rival police forces roamed New York, and they frequently fought each other. Tom and I, of course, go into this story at length in our case files of the NYPD podcast. I believe that's episode 103. So I'll direct you to that show to learn more of the details of the rival police forces and the infamous police riot. But essentially, in this battle between the local and state government, his foes succeeded in corroding Fernando's reputation, and his former friends in Tammany Hall swiftly abandoned him as well. So he was out of the office of mayor by the end of that year. But never fear, with no political machine to back him, Fernando simply created his own. His supporters met in a performance hall at 663 Broadway, that's Broadway and Bond Street. That meeting place was called Mozart Hall, and so Wood took its name as his own democratic political organization. The purpose of Mozart Hall was clear, the complete and utter promotion of the political career of Fernando Wood. By 1860, he was assisted by his equally rascally younger brother, Benjamin Wood, who started up the newspaper, the New York Daily News. Now, this is not the same paper as our current Daily News, by the way. Using his paper as a personal political tool, Wood catered to New York's growing immigrant population, then as a strategy pointed upwards towards national events and played up to New York's pro-slavery, anti-Lincoln contingent, playing up fears of a possible war. Using every tool in his arsenal, both legal and unlegal, Wood once again was elected mayor of New York in 1860. this certain way of thinking about the American Civil War now, because obviously we know the end result. We know that about the core issue in which it was fought, that of slavery, there was one side, the Union, and that side was right, and in that respect, the right side won. We know that a bloody, lengthy war was inevitable and impossible to avoid, but putting us back in the mindset of somebody in 1861, in the North, where many states had individually already abolished slavery, There was not a unified opinion about this. And in New York, the most diverse city in a country of 33 states in 1860, opinions were very divided. Here you have a port city that heavily relies on the South and Southern-owned businesses for some of its livelihood. One estimation that I actually read said that just from six Southern states alone, New York received almost $300 million in 19th century dollars $300 million of revenues that poured through the city because of these business transactions. Slavery was abolished in the state of New York in 1827, but many New York supported or at least tolerated slavery in other states. The 49,000 New Yorkers in 1860 who were free blacks themselves were in no way treated as if they were equal to the other residents of the city, and most of them lived in fairly squalid conditions. Then you had this perpetual battle, one that most of you know still exists to this day, between the city government of New York and the state government, often operated by opposite political parties. Generally speaking, during this period, Democrats controlled the city, Whigs, and then later the Republican Party would control the state. 
Some city politicians sympathized with the South's struggle to make their own decisions over a federal government because they were struggling themselves with those meddling fools in Albany. So in that light, and then, you know, considering all that perspective, Fernando Wood, the mayor of New York and the leader of Mozart Hall, gave what has to be one of the most ridiculous, most radical speeches in all of New York City history. Just unbelievable. Throughout most of 1860, the first year of his new term, he spent much of his time outside the state involved in national affairs. I mean, we complain about mayors like leaving on vacations today. Imagine a mayor going to D.C. or Albany for several weeks in an era where it would sometimes take a full day just to get to places along the East Coast. Fernando was essentially working to get a South-sympathizing nominee for president of the United States. He was not a subtle person. His motives were obvious to everybody. A Southern Democratic president would need a Northern Democrat to balance the ticket. And so, of course, now Wood wanted in the White House. When a Republican, Abraham Lincoln, won the presidency, Wood suddenly remembered he was the mayor of a city. But even in this capacity, he was utterly aligned with the South and utterly against the powers in state government. So on January 7th, 1861, Fernando stood in front of the Common Council and stated his desire for the city of New York to secede from the United States with the South. Quote, With our aggrieved brethren of the slave states, we have friendly relations and a common sympathy. We have not participated in the welfare upon their constitutional rights or their domestic institutions. Unquote. He then goes on to quote the original charter first granted to New York in 1686 by the British government, and using this actually as justification for New York seceding from the state. In that document, it actually calls New York, quote, a free city of itself. He then hammers home all the functions of government that the state had taken away. The police, the harbor patrol, even maintenance of the newly built and still being constructed Central Park. Using distant California and the Western territories as an example, he then proclaims, quote, Why should not New York City, instead of supporting by her contributions and revenue two-thirds of the expenses of the United States, become so equally independent? Why may not New York disrupt the bands which bind her to a corrupt and venal master, to a people and a party that have plundered her revenues, attempted to ruin her commerce, taken away the power of self-government, and destroyed the confederacy of which she was the proud empire city? I hope you're imagining Fernando's arms flailing about during this very grandiose speech. In subsequent announcements, Wood was essentially threatening to form a new independent city-state, which radicals at the time called the Free City of Triinsula, Triinsula, which means, of course, three islands, which united Manhattan, Staten Island, and Long Island, and also threw into the mix the third largest city in America at the time, Brooklyn, threw all of that into a self-governing unit in some way supported and supportive of newly seceded southern states. Now, unless Wood had a gigantic ferry boat in mind to dislodge these islands from the harbor and float them down to Virginia, clearly this idea was absurd. I suspect most of it was just grandstanding, but considering he goes on and on about it throughout the month to various groups, he might have truly considered this an actual option. Overall, of course, this proposal was a disaster. Now, remember, this was January 1861. With the secession of seven southern states in February, it was clear that a crisis unlike any face in America was about to occur. 
Far from remaining passive, New Yorkers rallied in great numbers to the Union defense. Southern sympathy became a still, small voice, as thousands of New Yorkers and Brooklynites volunteered to form Union militias, and flashy regiments at that, like Brooklyn's 14th Volunteer Regiment, named the Red-Legged Devils, or the 11th Volunteer Infantry Regiment, also called the New York Fire Zouaves. Zouaves for their flamboyant French-Algerian-style uniforms. The Fire Zouaves colonel, Elmer Ellsworth, is known to Civil War buffs today as tragically as the very first notable casualty of the Civil War. Now, down at Battery Park and even in front of the park in front of City Hall sat makeshift tents and military barracks to house traveling officers. Harbor forts were employed to train soldiers and later imprison captives. And even places like future Rikers Island, during this period, it became a military training ground. The streets of New York were festooned with banners and flags. People, rich and poor, raised money for union causes. So Fernando's lame announcement was completely drowned out, and he was widely ridiculed. So to save face, because he is, after all, a politician, he promptly changed his tune. In April of 1861, he even spoke at that massive rally in Union Square in support of the Union, literally draping a flag about himself as he spoke. I am with you in this contest. We know no party now, he said, and he might have even been convinced of that. Pretty soon, you couldn't throw a stone at a Union event in New York City without hitting Fernando on the head. He penned letters to Abraham Lincoln, offered his personal support. Mozart Hall sponsored their own politically advantageous volunteer militia. In fact, Fernando would even offer to join a volunteer militia himself. But as he tried bleakly to spin himself into a blur of red, white, and blue, most New Yorkers saw right through this. For one... His brother Benjamin was still publishing scathingly anti-Union tirades in the Daily News newspaper, which, incredibly enough, resulted in the federal government using wartime powers. They prevented the Daily News from using mail delivery, which essentially in those days shut the paper down. And at the end of 1861, Fernando was embroiled in a dirty bribery court case involving a suspiciously beneficial street cleaning contract. With all this two-facedness and a regular assortment of bribery and corruption charges that always seemed to haunt Fernando throughout his career, well, he was easily ousted from City Hall in the next election. For the remainder of the war, Wood became the New York leader of anti-war Democrats, often nicknamed the Copperheads. In a rally at Cooper Union, he demanded Lincoln put the entire existence of the war up to a popular vote, and later he organized a huge rally for, quote, peace and reunion. Unfortunately, once again, his timing is terrible. That rally occurred in June of 1863. The next month came the bloody draft riots, a week of chaos born of opposition to the drafting of troops by the federal government. After the riots, with the city in smolders, with dozens of people dead and millions of dollars of property damage, nobody had much stomach for the anti-war movement for these copperheads, or for wood. You might think all of that would ruin a politician, perhaps deservedly so, but not someone with such a bottomless well of ambition like Fernando Wood. During this period of his leadership of the Copperheads, he tried to get back into the U.S. House of Representatives. This was kind of unheard of for the day. No former mayor had ever sought an elected position in the federal government. In 1863, he was elected to the 5th Congressional District. In those days, this was an area that was along the Hudson River waterfront on the west side of Manhattan. And believe it or not, with only one interruption, Fernando Wood managed to stay as a New York representative all the way through 1881. 
this, frankly, is an extraordinary run for a man so tarnished with corruption and associated with mendacity and bald ambition. In fact, the only year he lost, not surprisingly, was 1865, the last year of the Civil War. Of his futile campaigning in that particular year, the New York Herald said, quote, Fernando Wood is the nominee of Fernando Wood. Fernando Wood is patrolling the district, making speeches for Fernando Wood, unquote. So how did he manage to end his years as a U.S. representative? Like, how did this happen? Well, he started by abandoning that whole Mozart Hall idea and rejoined the Tammany Hall fold and all the connections that it offered. Now, Tammany Hall and all of New York government by this time was now pretty much being run by Boss Tweed and his cronies, men who had honed the craft of political power and corruption that had once been wielded so artfully by Wood himself. It's believed that Fernando even made a deal with Tweed, with Fernando promising to take himself off the market locally, so to speak, so that Tweed and his associates could maintain total control in exchange for Tammany's support of Wood for Congress. And so Fernando moved to Washington, D.C., never returning to New York City politics again. By 1881, he would be the oldest serving member of Congress at that particular time. In that year, due to health problems, Wood, who was now in his 60s, retired to Hot Springs, Arkansas. Now, back in the day, the tranquil hot spring bathhouses of Hot Springs, Arkansas, were advertised as healthy respites for those that were rich enough in the 19th century to afford to luxuriate there. These hot springs, unfortunately, did not work for Fernando Wood. He died there of complications of gout and rheumatism in February of 1881. Now, the memory of Fernando Wood has a lot of baggage attached to it. On one hand, his quest to consolidate power as mayor actually helped the city. More civically ambitious mayors later used that power to help shape the city in extraordinary ways. This completely ridiculous idea of Triensula, the free city, was, if you think about it, a prediction of sorts to a consolidated city in the five boroughs. And on a long list of forgettable mayors, his name and his accomplishments certainly stand out very big and bold here. In a centennial celebration of his birthday, the New York Times wrote, Of all the mayors of New York City from the beginning of the century up to 1881, the names of only two have passed into tradition, DeWitt Clinton and Fernando Wood. Now, you heard a little bit about New York during the first couple years of the Civil War. So in 1861, New Yorkers were, for the most part, rather gung-ho about the Union-Confederate conflict. In our next two podcasts, Tom and I will talk about the remaining years. With the thrill and the enthusiasm of war long gone, New Yorkers rebel against attempts to bring them further into the conflict. Pro-slavery sentiments and outright racism soon begin to drown out the drums and the fifes of patriotism. What you will hear from us next will not be pretty. We'll be talking about one of the nastiest periods in New York City history. On our blog, BoweryBoysPodcast.com, I will have some portraits of Fernando Wood so you can picture this man for yourself while hearing all about his wacky exploits. And please check us out on Facebook as well. We have a great community of fans there that we greatly appreciate. Because it's the summer, our schedule's a little off. So I apologize for that, but we all have different, Tom and I have different vacations, and so we're out of the city at various times. The next episode will be in three weeks. And the third part of this will be in about a month after that. So it's they're going to be a little irregular, and I apologize for that. Tom and I really hope that you join us for those. We're very excited to finally get to this topic, which people have wanted us to discuss for a long time. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York summer, whether you live here or not.
when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself, What would kids do? Then pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. Start planning at visitcalifornia.com.